new things. And I'm a firm believer in seasons. I really do. Uh, I'm excited about that because I think sometimes when things last for too long, they just lose their luster and they, they, they stop being fun. Amen? Sometimes you need to start new things. Uh, get on a new, a new habit. Get on to new things. And I'm excited because every new year gives us an opportunity to reflect on that. What the past is past and what's ahead is the future. And we can put the uh, uh, closed doors on something in the past and, 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 and lay a hold of something in the future. And I'm excited about that and those possibilities. And so I'm a firm believer in New Year's resolution. So I'm going to ask you, did anybody make a New Year's resolution? Is anybody brave enough to share their New Year's resolution with us? Okay, maybe your resolution should be to be brave. Some of y'all <laughs> got to be a little bolder. Okay, uh, maybe you're like, oh, you know what? What's the point? How many of you guys, okay, are like, what's the point? Whatever. There's no point in making a New Year's resolution. Anybody? Anybody's like, whatever. Same old, same old. How many of you guys are like, same old, same old. It doesn't matter. There's no difference. Okay, I get that. Most of you guys are probably like, whatever. You just rolled over, right? It was like 2018, 2019. You just, you weren't even up. Uh, on New Year's Eve, just went to bed early, right, Art? You just went to bed early, you're, you're bored, and you're like, whatever, who cares, New Year. But I actually firmly believe that a new year gives us the opportunity to begin new chapters in our lives. See, God gave us seasons. That's why summer leads to fall, and fall leads to winter, and winter leads us to spring. And I think it's an opportunity for us individually and as a community to think about what new things we can begin this year. So I have made a New Year's resolution. My wife and I, of course, we are making some resolutions at home. I'm not brave enough to share them with you. <laughs> but I will share with you my New Year's resolution for us as a church community and one as a pastor that I have for us. And that is, for 2019, I want this community, Bonita, to be biblically awake and to reconnect with our purpose. See, here's what I'm, here's what I'm saying, friends. Like, I don't know about you, but I am tired of the same old, same old when it comes to my spiritual life. I'm actually bored of coming to church every week expecting nothing different to happen. I'm actually bored of just showing up, going through the motions, and then going home and nothing changes. And I bet some of you guys are too because I see you. You sit here, you look at me, and you look bored. And my job isn't to entertain you. But I believe that if you connect with your purpose for the reason why we exist, for the reason why we are a church and why God has placed us at this point in earth's history, I believe that your life will be different. And I want you to be biblically awakened to your purpose. So my resolution for us as a church community is that we become biblically awakened in 2019. Who's with me? Okay. I hope you are because if you didn't come to, to, to get all about the Bible, you're in the wrong place. Because here we're all about the Word of God. Amen. And our sermon title for today is Consider the Word. Consider the Word. It's a verse from the book of Daniel, chapter 9, which we have been reading in the entire month of December, Daniel chapter 9. And that's where we are going to begin today. Because I believe that the book of Daniel holds the key for us as an Adventist faith community to understand why we exist. Why we in particular exist at this time in earth's history. Why we are a, a church tradition to begin with. And I think over the years and decades and centuries, we have lost our purpose. And so now we're just kind of going through the motions. And I think we're wasting time. And so I want us to be biblically awake and to reconnect with our purpose. And I want to challenge you to follow along with me. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read the Bible. Amen? Okay. And uh, <clears throat> this year, as, as Pastor Caleb pointed out, we want more audience participation. <laughs> So we want you to go ahead and chime in with your amens. You can say, uh-huh. You can say, what? That's good, too. Whatever you want, right? Just, just let me know that you're alive out there. In fact, 
what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask our text up there in, in the booth to just bring up the house lights just a little bit so that you can read your Bibles. Now, some of you guys are on your smartphones. You don't need extra lighting, but some of you guys need the hard copy. So just, just, just a little bit. That's good. That's, that's, that's good. I don't want to see you all too much. Just a little bit. There it is. There you go. Good. Excellent. So what I want you to do is open up the Word of God to the book of Daniel. And today we're in chapter 8. There's a Bible right in the pew in front of you. And um, even if you don't know uh, that much about the Bible, I can help you find your places. Who's got a pew Bible? And, and give us a, pew, a, a number. 901. 901. Page 901. If you're in a pew Bible right there, one of the ones provided, 901. Thank you. We're in Daniel chapter 8. If you uh, grew up as an Adventist or, uh, or your family was an Adventist, chances are that when you hear the word Daniel, the book of Daniel, you, you cringe a little bit. And uh, chances are you might have some PTSD, some flashbacks of a Daniel and Revelation seminar that you went through or were forced to attend or maybe had a book or something. And, and maybe there's some images that come straight to mind. But I believe that, that God gave us this book as a special identifier. Uh, an identity setter for us. And what I want to do, and what we've been doing, unbeknownst to you, in the last month of December, is laying the groundwork for us to understand the book of Daniel without having to be scared. Because what we read and we discovered the entire month of December, when we read Daniel chapter 9 and the seven-week prophecy, is that God gives us prophecy not to frighten us or for us to predict the future, but to reassure us that He's still in control. Amen? God said... Do not be afraid. Remember the angels when they arrived? The shepherds, don't be afraid. Maybe the angel when he came to Mary, every time the angel shows up, he says, don't be afraid. God favors you. God wants to be with us. The entire month of December, we did our series on, on Emmanuel, God with us. And we discovered that in the book of Daniel, hundreds of years later, God had laid out specific events that would take place in a way for people to be prepared in anticipating the arrival of the baby Jesus. In fact, in, in Daniel chapter 9, which we read in the last couple of weeks of December, we uncovered the 70-week prophecy. Now maybe you were here, maybe you weren't, or maybe you read it and didn't understand, but we did 69 weeks. Three score and two, remember that? Or 77s, the seven-week prophecy, which is a, a phenomenal messianic prophecy that helped the Magi, I believe, and Simeon to be prepared for the arrival of the baby Jesus. But the truth is, that's just part of the story. It's not the end. The first advent was not the end. The first advent was just to set the groundwork for the second advent. And God is trying to unlock all that for us. In the book of Daniel. So you ready to read it with me? Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to do go to Jan chapter 8. So page 901. So I want you to follow along with me. Do the best you can. Follow along right here in the text. And let me just tell you before we start reading. You don't have to be afraid. Okay. You don't have to be afraid. God does not want us to be afraid. He has not given us a spirit of fear. He has not. In fact, what he's going to share for us is to build our confidence and trust in him. So let's read it together. If you're there, Daniel chapter 8, say amen. All right, here we go. Chapter 8, verse 1. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. Verse 2. And in my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elam. And in the vision, I was beside the Ulai Canal. And I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns. How many horns? 
standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. And one of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. And I watched the ram as he charged toward the west, the north, the south. And no animal could stand against him, and none could rescue from his power. And he did as he pleased and became great. So what we're going to do is we're going to read through this, and we're going to kind of backtrack and unpack it a little bit. But so far, I just want you to get this picture. Daniel is in the re- in, 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 during the reign of King Belshazzar's reign. He is living in Babylon. As you know, because you know something about Daniel. Daniel was one of the young men who were taken captive by the Babylonians. Yes, remember that, right? Uh, fantastic. The early stories of Daniel. Everybody loves those. You know, the, uh, the ten days of, of legumes and, and vegan lifestyle that made us smarter than everybody else. Amen. Say amen for those vegan snacks we had today at church, right, guys? Yeah, that's good stuff. Good stuff. Amen. That's right. And, and, and you know the story about uh, uh, Daniel when he was thrown into the, 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 the fiery furnace, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Bednego. That's right. Chop off the A. Bednego. Um, yeah, we love that stuff. But, but this is later in Daniel's life. But we know that Daniel has been living uh, under Babylonian uh, captivity for some time. And here he is in the third year of King Belshazzar, which is a, a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar, old King Nebi. And, and Daniel is living still under the Babylonian Empire, and he has this vision, this dream. And he says, in the vision, he sees himself in the, in the citadel, uh, in, the, in the city of Susa, which is not in Babylon, but in the nearby other kingdom, a neighboring kingdom, the kingdom of Medo-Persia, nearby. And he sees, he sees himself there, and he says he looks up, and he sees a ram with two horns standing beside the canal, and one of the horns is longer than the other. So I know that when we read Daniel and Revelation and that kind of stuff, you think crazy things, images, and beasts, right? Anybody has heard the, heard the word beast? But these are animals, animals, right, Chuki? Animals. You got it? All right, animals. What's the first animal we see in this vision? It's a ram, uh, right? Some of you guys probably drive a Dodge Ram, and you have one of these guys on your hood as a, as a hood ornament. It's a ram. Nothing scary about a ram, right? It's, it's a, it has like, like, what do they call that? It's not fur. What is it? Uh, wool, yeah. It's a, it's a ram. It's a woolly ram. It's got two horns. No big deal. One horn is just a little bit longer than the other. Nothing to be scared about. And it's just standing there. So far, so good. Are you scared? No, right? Not scared so far. So far, so good. It's just a ram. Now, we're going to read it. This, he just sees a ram. But then he says that this ram uh, charges and uh, charges towards the west, the north, the south, and no animal could stand against him. This is kind of unusual uh, because uh, although rams are fierce, and this week I had a chance to drive a Dodge Charger, and it was like vroom, vroom, right, kids? Kids were like, wow, we don't normally drive like this. It was, it was fancy. Um, had a Hemi, Hemi engine carburetor thing. I don't know what it was, but it was loud and uh, obnoxious, but it was fun. And... And I felt like that. I felt like I could charge to the north and the south. And just everywhere you go, no one could stand against me. It was red too, candy apple red. And at the red light, I went 0 to 30, but not faster than 30. But um, the kids were like, 4, 3, 2, 1, go. And my wife was like, hi. <laughs> so I could understand the imagery here. But, but Daniel says he sees a ram and, and standing there from this, from this city, which which I'm telling you is in Medo-Persian kingdom, not in Babylon. But it says it charges uh, west, north, and south, and no animal could stand against him, and no one, no one could rescue from his power. Now, what you know about the animal kingdom is rams aren't usually uh, predatory animals. Uh, you know, they, they will defend themselves, but they're not out there. They're not hunters. But in this, 
in this dream, this, this, this ram is, no one can stand against it. It's undefeated. And it, and it became, uh, uh, he says, he did, he did as he pleased and he became great. An expression in the original language here is Hebrew, became great, like grew and was powerful. Let's continue with the dream, all right? And as I was thinking about this, Daniel says, verse 5, are you there? Chapter 8, verse 5, you there? Amen? Okay, follow along with me. As I was, I was thinking this, suddenly a goat, <laughs> a goat with a prominent horn between his eyes, this is animal number 2, Chuki, a goat with a prominent horn between his eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. And he came toward the two-horned ram. Okay, so we now we see a second animal, a goat, just a goat. Anybody ever seen a goat? You know, when they're little, they're really cute, right? In fact, one of the most popular uh, uh, white elephant gifts this past Christmas was that screaming goat. You seen it? A tiny little goat, you just press on it, it makes a sound. Anybody get one for a Christmas white elephant? Okay, it was all over the news. It's like, if you need a present fast, buy the goat. And you just get this little goat and you just press it. It's got a little... Uh, a little goatee, you know, it hops on all fours. It's a goat. Are you scared? Not scared, right? It's just a goat. And, and, and uh, young, young ladies, this goat is like part unicorn because it has one horn between his eyes. And, you know, unicorns are all the rage. Except my daughter said to me, oh, Papa, unicorns were so last year. Broke my heart, broke my heart. But over the holidays, she still wore her unicorn uh, pajamas. So I was like, okay, okay, still good, it's good. <laughs> Not all innocence is lost. But, but we, see a new, we see a new animal. This one is a, a, a goat that has a prominent horn between his eyes. Are you there? Okay. And this goat comes from the west, a different direction. The other one came charging west, north, south. This one comes from the west. And it crosses the whole earth without touching the ground, almost as if it's flying. And he came toward, verse 6, he came toward the two-horned ram that I had seen standing there in the canal. And he charged at the ram with great rage. Now, in a real-life battle between a goat and a ram, who's going to win? The ram. Vroom, vroom. Those of you guys that drive Dodgers are like the ram. <laughs> well, generally, size-wise, the rams are bigger. Uh, you know, the male, uh, male rams are called bulls. Goats are just goats. Um, in, a, in, in real life battle, that, this isn't likely to, to end well for the goat. But, but in his dream, he says, the, the, the goat comes, verse 6, comes towards a two-horned ram um, and attacks the ram furiously. And he strikes the ram and shatters the ram's two horns. And the ram was powerless to stand against him. And the goat knocked the ram to the ground, trampled on him, and no one could rescue the ram from his power. And the goat became... Very great. Thank you. Somebody's reading. Okay. <laughs> we had one person reading. How about the rest of you guys? The, the goat became very great. But at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off. Uh-oh, no more unicorn. And in its place, four prominent horns grew up towards the four winds of heaven. Okay, that's a little bit weird. So it was a unicorn, like the kind you see at Justice, you know, <laughs> the store. But everything is a unicorn. At justice. <laughs> and the unicorn is off, and now it's got four horns to the four winds of the earth. The description like these horns are going in four different directions. Okay? You there with me so far? You visualized it? One ram comes this way, two horns, one larger than the other, and then a goat comes this way, one horn tramples the ram, but then 
at the height of its power, the unicorn is broken and slays four horns. Yes? Okay, let's keep going. Uh, four winds of heaven. Verse 9, very important here. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small but grew in power to the south, to the east, and toward the beautiful land, capital B, capital L. And it grew until it reached the hosts of the heavens, and it threw some of the starry hosts down to earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the prince of the hosts, and it took away the daily sacrifice from him, and the place of his sanctuary was brought low because of the rebellion of the hosts of the saints, and the daily sacrifice were giving over to it, and it prospered in everything it did, and the truth was thrown to the ground. So far we see this animal, and we see this animal. But after this, something different comes up. Out of the four winds, a new horn comes up. And this is different. It's just a horn. It doesn't, in the dream, have an animal. It's just a horn. And this horn is, is described differently here. It says this horn uh, rises, starts out small, but then grows to the south, to the east, and toward the beautiful land. But then it also reaches to the host of the heavens. As opposed to the other beasts that were going east and west, this one starts out traveling laterally, but then it reaches upwards towards the heavens. And then it does different things from the other two. The other two seem to be attacking each other, animal versus animal. But this one, it says, uh, in his dream, it says, uh, it threw some of the starry hosts from the sky down, and it, it sets itself up to be as great as the prince of the hosts, takes away the daily sacrifice, and then the sanctuary is brought low. It's different languages used here altogether. So something entirely different is taking place. Does it sound confusing? At this point, it gets a little bit fuzzy. We get away from animals, and we're like, what? what's, what's happening? But as Daniel is describing this dream, he says, this last thing is, is, is weird. It's, it's, it's doing unspeakable things. Setting itself up to be the same as the prince of the host, capital P, which is the same phrase that you would use to describe the prince of princes. King of kings, Lord of lords, everlasting father. Who is this? Jesus. Set itself up to be just as powerful as Jesus. Oh, wait a minute. Something different is happening here. And it says, because of the, re of the rebellion of the host of the saints, the daily sacrifices are given over to it, and it prospers, and truth was thrown to the ground. Previously, we see these animals, and, and they're fighting, and it looks like against each other. But now the fight is against truth also. Truth is thrown to the ground. And Daniel is seeing this, and he can't quite make sense of it, just like you and I are saying, what? I, we don't really understand just yet. But then he hears this, verse, seven, verse 13, and then I heard a holy one speaking and another holy one. So he hears a heavenly conversation and, and one says to the other, he says, how long will it take for this vision to be fulfilled? How long will it take for this vision to take place, to be completed? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, and the surrender of the sanctuary, and the host that we trampled underfoot. How long? We, 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 we get this phrase, how long? Time, give us a time frame. And he said to me, Daniel 8, verse 14, read this, know this, and memorize this for yourself. And he said to me, it will take 2,300 2, evenings and mornings, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Now, maybe you didn't grow up in Adventist church. Maybe you never went to one of those seminars. But regardless, if you're going to be biblically awake this year, you've got to remember that verse. See, as we discovered when we were reading Daniel chapter 9 last month and, and, and studying the Messianic prophecies, 
when God speaks prophetically, he is saying things that can't always be understood in the present time, but will be later, later unraveled in future time. It's not meant to give you fear. It's meant to give you confidence as God's truth comes to pass. And when he gives us a time-specific prophecy, we better pay attention. Do you remember how the wise men paid attention and they were there when the baby was born? How Simeon paid attention and he was there and he saw but thousands of others that would have been ready ignore the Bible. Even though they came to church, they did the stuff, they were just not biblically awake. And they missed it. That's why when, when the Magi came, remember the Magi came and they said to Herod, uh, where's the baby? And he said to the people, hey guys, where's the baby going to be born? They all said, well, Bethlehem, of course. But when? And nobody knew. You know what's funny? They still don't know. Some are still waiting. Sadly, most of Israel, current present-day Israel, doesn't even believe in God. They're just culturally Israelites. Only about 18 to 20 percent of current Jews in Israel are still awaiting the Messiah. The rest have just given up. And they just do the motions. Why? They didn't pay attention. Because they didn't build confidence as God's truth came to pass. And we cannot allow that to happen to us. And I believe that we as a faith community, and as a church, and as a faith tradition, cannot allow ourselves to become obsolete in the passing of time. We cannot allow ourselves just to become a people who go through the motions. We must understand the reason for our existence. And it's right there. How long will this take place? And one heavenly being says to the other, 2,300 evenings and mornings, then shall the sanctuary be closed. See, for the entire month of December, I was trying to to get you interested in the sanctuary. Because I firmly believe and I'm convinced that in in the message and the ministry and the symbolism of the sanctuary, God unravels and and displays his heart to us. And, And it's been forgotten and overlooked and we have focused on the wrong qualities of God. In fact, most people think that God is distant, that God is far away. But in the sanctuary, we discover that God wants to live with us. He says, build me a house so I may live among you. Well, uh, People in the world think that God is just out there trying to punish you, trying to zap you, trying to find uh, something wrong with you. But God doesn't do that. The sanctuary, we discover that God is asking you in the courtyard to come close. And he provides a way for us to come in our wickedness and our sin and meet his holiness. From the outside to the inside into the most holy place. How? Through the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's all right there. This is a symbol of what God is trying to do in the entire history of humankind. To reunite us. Because we know from Revelation 21, when it's all said and done, God says, and I will be your God and you will be my people. And I will wipe away every tear from your eyes and there will be no more mourning or crying sadness or death because the old order of things will be passed away and behold Daniel and John says I saw a new heaven and a new earth right 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 and all that is right there friends it's right here in the mission message the theology the symbolism of the sanctuary so as Daniel is seeing this he sees the goat he sees he sees the goat he sees the ram then he sees the horn and he's not quite understanding what all this means. But he does hear this. One says, how long is this going to take place? And, and the, the holy being says to the other, 2,300 evenings and mornings, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Boom. And the dream is over. 
Now, Daniel is like confused. Look, we're going to read. Why Dan, while, while I, Daniel, verse 15, chapter 8, verse 15, look right back in your Bibles, chapter 8, verse 15. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand, just like you and I are thinking, what, goats, rams, horn, 2300, what does this mean? While I was doing this, there before me stood one who looked like a man, and I heard a man's voice from the Ulai calling, and it said, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. Gabriel, did you recognize that name? Gabriel. The angel Gabriel. There's only, there's only a few angels that we know the names of. The archangel Michael, the angel Gabriel, and one more. Anyone? Lucifer. That's right, Lucifer. But what we know about Gabriel is that he is a special messenger. Whenever God has a very special message to give, he sends the angel Gabriel. And Daniel is receiving this vision, and now a word comes and says, Gabriel, go tell this man what it means. What's fascinating here is oftentimes in, 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 in Old Testament history, God would give a message to a prophet, and he would give a vision or a message to a prophet, and they would interpret it for the people, and God would use them. But in this case, Daniel is receiving this message, but he cannot make sense of it. He cannot understand it. And God sends an angel to explain it. That's fabulous for us, for you and me. You know why? Because we don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. God is going to connect the dots for us. This is really important for you and me as Adventist Christians in the year 2019. Let me read it for you. And the angel Gabriel came. And as he came near, verse 17, chapter 8, he came near to the place where I was standing. I was terrified. The angels, uh, Daniel says, I was terrified and I fell prostrate. But son of man, he said to me, understand the vision understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. The time of what? The end. Now that's a phrase you probably have heard if you grew up in Adventist church. The time of the end. The end times. Come on. Anybody Anybody else grew up in Adventist other than me? The end times. The sign of the times. The end times. He says, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. He tells Daniel something he cannot quite comprehend at the moment. But he says, understand that this is for an end time. He continues. Look at this. While he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. And then he touched me and he raised me to my feet. See, this is an angel. And an angel will not allow himself to be worshipped because he is not God. His sole task is to worship the one true God. And, 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 and Daniel cannot tell the difference because to him it's a heavenly being. But the Gabriel says, no, 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 get up. He raises him to his feet. And he says, I'm going to tell you what will happen. Verse 19, later in the time of wrath. Because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. See, most of us have avoided reading Daniel and Revelation. Unless you're sort of into like the conspiracy theory angle. Most of us have avoided because it's, it's confusing. People have made it seem scary uh, and un uninteresting. But I firmly believe that it's important for us to understand that if we read it carefully, we are living in the time of the end. And that defines our existence as a faith community and as a church. And so we have to know and pay attention why God gave us these prophecies and this information. So the angel says, this is for a later time, the time of the end, the appointed time of the end. He says it twice for emphasis. And then he begins to unlock. Here we go. Chapter 8, verse 20. Please read it with me. Okay, he says, he tells him, the two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. The two-horned ram represents the kings of Media and Persia. <clears throat> now, in two little verses, 
the angel is going to unpack for Daniel the next 500 years of world history. It's fabulous. See, Daniel is having this dream about the year 540 B.C., in the third year of King Belshazzar's reign. Daniel is living under the Babylonian Empire, which up until that time was like the only world power. As you know, because you know the story, you know the king Nebuchadnezzar thought of himself as a god and the earth was his footstool. And his kingdom spread and dominated and he thought he would never be defeated. And that's exactly where Daniel still is. So there's no reason for him to believe that anything will change. And yet, in a few short months, the Babylonian Empire is going to come crashing down one fateful night of partying. But here, about 540 B.C., God gives Daniel a vision and a prophecy of what will happen to the history of the world. And he says, the ram that you see and the two horns represents the two kings of Medo and Persia. Now, if, you, if you're looking at your old world map, you'll see the Babylonian Empire. And next to them are the kingdoms of Media and Persia. They're smaller kingdoms, not like Babylon, not rich and wealthy and as spread out. They're just neighboring kingdoms, not a threat. It's unreasonable for Daniel to expect that these will come and destroy Babylon. But that's exactly what is described here. The ram was, does what? It charges west, north, and south. In a few short months from the time he has this dream, what world history reveals to us and what the angel tells him right here is that this, these two kings come over, the Medo-Persians come over, and first they destroy Babylon, they, 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 they eat it alive essentially, and then they go north and capture Lydia, the neighboring kingdom, and then they go south to capture Egypt. And for the next 200 plus years, the Medo-Persians become the next great world empire that begins to shape the course of human history that affects who you are and why you are who you are. And it's all being revealed right here in the stream by an angel in the year 540 B.C. Are you following me? And then he says this, verse 21, And the shaggy goat, remember the one who comes from the west, is the king of Greece. And the large horn between his eyes is the first king. The unicorn is the first king of Greece. Now in 540 B.C., Greece was nothing but a bunch of villages and hamlets. You see, Babylon was Babylon. Greece was much further away from this, from this uh, sort of corner of, of where the world empire was. Greece was up there, it was nothing. But several hundreds of years later, after the Medo-Persians had taken over, and their two kings, and by the way, the one horn that's larger than the other, anybody have a guess who that is? Which kingdom do you still talk about, the Medos or the Persians? Ah, you see, <laughs> which king... Which kingdom is newer, the Medos or the Persians? The Persians. <laughs> the Medes, Darius the Mede. You guys remember Darius the Mede, Xerxes? These are the first kings of the Medo-Persian Empire. But they didn't last as long and didn't grow as powerful as the Persians, which is modern day Iran. See, and the citadel of Susa is where? It's a city called Susa in Iran. <laughs> Daniel is having this dream, friends, long before it's happening. And he's seeing this thing, and the angel explains it to him. And the angel says that somewhere from this little bunch of little villages up here in Greece, a new kingdom will come, a goat with a unicorn. Hmm? And it is going to fly, and it's going to destroy in the dream. It's going to go west. You see that? Remember that? It's going to go west. It's going to come towards a two-horned ram uh, and attack it furiously. And it's going to destroy this ram. 
and it's going to become very powerful, but at the height of its power, this large horn will be broken off and four horns will be be replaced. So the Bible describes this other power, which the angel says, the shaggy goat is the king, the first king of Greece, which at this point really has no kingdom because Greece isn't a kingdom. It's just a bunch of smaller villages. But hundreds of years later, over 200 years later, there's a King Philip who begins to accumulate power by connecting different groups of people and making them ally and creates a sort of peace. And this King Philip has a son and names his son Alexander. That's right. He names his son Alexander. And this king believes so much in what he's going to do, but he really believes in his succession that that he gets his son to be tutored by the greatest philosophers in, in their age. And this young man, Alexander, is is told from a very early age that he's going to rule the world. Would you have the audacity to tell your kid that? Where at the time, you are nothing but a villager, and there's this great Medo-Persian empire that rules the world. It's It's like me, a Bolivian man, telling my son Asher, a half Bolivian Filipino guy, says, someday, son, we Bolivians are going to rule North America. And you laugh, and you laugh. Rightfully so, because there's no reason to believe that. But Philip told his son, Alexander, no, son, you are going to be great, and you are going to rule the world. Well, guess what? When Alexander was about 23 years old, his father, King Philip, was assassinated, as you know how it is. Politicians always looking to assassinate each other. And lo and behold, Alexander became king of Greece, the first king of Greece, essentially, as it was finally united at the age of 23. And do you know what he did in the next 10 years? He conquered the world, the ancient world, from the west, from up here, from the west, up here in Athens and Greece and Thessalonica. He comes down, and so fast, in 10 years, he swallows up all of what you and I would consider Turkey, Syria, Egypt, and he destroys. And what the Bible describes in this dream is that this goat came flying as if it's feasting on the ground. Just like you and I say, oh, I was, I was flying, which, of course, you never do fly, right, unless you're in a plane. Dude, I was flying. You see it? You see it? And the first king, it says, the first king of Greece is going to come, and, and suddenly, that's the word, suddenly, there was a goat, and it came flying. And, and what we know from Earth's history is that Alexander, the first king of Greece, as the angel describes, the first king of Greece, conquers the world in about 10 years. Can you believe that? The Medo-Persians took a long time. Of course, they destroyed Babylon quickly, but then they grew and they grew. And just like the Babylonian Empire began to swell and swell and swell over hundreds of years. But the Greeks, man, they did it in a flash. 10 years. Legend has it. That as, uh, that as this goat was going towards the beautiful land, which is what the Bible tells us right there. But, uh, as this goat was going, he was coming through. It was going to destroy Jerusalem and burn the city. Legend has it. Well, the priests came out and they read to him Daniel chapter 8. They said, no, no, no. Don't destroy us. Because then the prophecy says that you are going to conquer the entire Medo-Persian Empire. Legend has it that Alexander said, hmm, all right. And as a favor to them. Believing that they believed in his ultimate destiny, he helped fortify the city and the temple. And then he went on to conquer Egypt, bypassing, causing, he did not destroy Jerusalem and the temple. But once he got to Egypt and had conquered the world in 10 years, at the age of 33, he was so full of himself and so rich of himself 
that he began to party it up. And probably as a result of his alcoholism, he got an infection and died more than likely of pneumonia at the age of 33. Did that surprise us? No, because the Bible says that at the height of his power, the, the, the unicorn will be broken off. And in its place, four horns will grow out to the four winds of the earth. And the angel says that this is the first king of Greece and will be replaced, that broken off will be re replaced by the four kingdoms that will emerge from this nation. But they will not have the same power. And so what we have here, friends, is that the Bible gives Daniel this dream about what's going to happen with, earth's his, with the world's history. And then the angel explains the ram, Medo-Persian, which does happen shortly after he has this dream from the years 539 B.C. to about 331 B.C. And then Alexander comes and he rules the world for 10 years and then he dies. But his four generals divide up the kingdoms. Do you guys know what the kingdoms are? One is Greece, yes. Cassander takes Greece sort of the, the northern part of Greece. Uh, um, uh, one takes Turkey, another one takes Syria or Asia Minor, and another one takes, Ptolemy takes Egypt. So these four generals divide the kingdoms, but these never become as great as, as Alexander's great Greek empire. But the Bible has already described that, but it does so in the year 540 B.C. Now the reason I'm telling you all this is because at the time Daniel has this vision, nobody actually believes it will take place. Just like in this moment, no one actually believes what God says about the end of our times. But we must pay attention and be biblically awake. I love this here, and I know my historian friends love this also, that God tells them exactly what's going to take place in human history. But of course, as people read this, they didn't understand it and couldn't see it. Because prophecy is not meant to predict the future. It's meant to give you confidence as you live the future. It's meant to give you assurance, to make you aware that God is on your side and you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. God knows. Time is in His hands. He is, he is, he is concerned with you and, and He wants to be with you, but He is holding back the winds of destiny so that everything will line up for His purposes. Now, so far, so good. In these two verses, he explains what, what for him would be nonsense, but for us now makes perfect sense. The angel tells him exactly. And the reason I love this and why I love the seven-week prophecy is because, friends, the true enemy of our faith in today's time is doubt. You're sitting here. You're looking at me. You do it every week, and, and I do it in my own time. We doubt. We read the word. We say, but, but is it, could it really be real? Or are we just, is this just opium for the masses? Is this just fool's gold? Are we just going through the motions? And I think God has been putting me back here and he's saying, look, I told you the truth then and it came to pass. Amen? Don't nobody want to say amen to that? And I'm telling you the truth now. See, you and I have a choice. We could be like the wise men and we can believe and expect and wait and have our faith be fulfilled. Or we can be like the countless others who just shrugged their shoulders. And rolled from one year to the next. The angel then says a few more startling things. He says this. So far we've got the next several hundred years of world's history. We have the, the Medo-Persian Empire. We have the Greek Empire, which we know. And then, and then the angel says this. The four horns replaced it will be broken off into these 
four representing four kingdoms that will emerge but will not have the same power. Verse 23. But in the latter, latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a stern-faced king, a master of intrigue, will arise. And he will become very strong, but not by his own power. And he will cause the astounding devastation and will succeed in what he does. And he will destroy the mighty men and destroy the holy people. And he will cause deceit to prosper. And he will consider himself superior. And when they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. And yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. Now the angels begin to sort of unpack that last thing that we saw. That horn is different. It's a new kind of king. It, 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 is, it is a stern-faced king, a master of intrigue that, that meddles with the truth. The Bible says the truth is thrown down. And it, it does battle not only politically against other kingdoms, but spiritually against the starry host. It's a different kind of battle, as the angels describe it. But what's important here is that you understand what kind of battle it is. Listen, he says, he will destroy mighty men. He will even destroy holy people. Why? Because he will cause deceit to prosper. He's going to make it so that people fall for lies. And people believe the wrong things. And he says, when they feel safe. When they feel secure, he will destroy many. This other enemy, this other world power, does battle differently. At least in the dream. It's not east, it's west. Initially, it's, it's towards the beautiful land. But then it's upward. And then it's against the people of God. And he does this battle by making them feel safe. And by twisting the truth. Friends, we need to be biblically awake because you got to know and understand that these modes of battle is what's happening now in the end times. For the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. And the problem that you and I are living in 2019 as a faith community is that we have fallen for this trap. You feel safe, secure, and the truth has gotten twisted. And you don't know why you exist as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. And you don't know what your purpose is as a follower of God. And you think, some of you think, that your reason for, li- for being a Christian is just to get yourself into heaven. And that is just not the truth. It's not the truth. We need to be biblically awake. We need to rediscover our purpose. So here's what I want you to do for me. We're going to do some heavy-duty Bible lifting this, this year, and I just, we need to be biblically awake, especially the young people. Because listen, 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 my teens, my preteens, the world is twisting the truth all over. And it wants to make you feel like you are the sole determining of right and wrong. But there can only be one prince of the host. There can only be one Jesus. There can only be one everlasting father. And we as a faith community, we've got to make our allegiance to him, not to ourselves. Not to the goats and the rams or the horns, but to Jesus himself. To the one who is our author and creator. And I believe that God gave us the book of Daniel to give us reason for existing. So that we might understand our purpose. And what I want us to do as a faith community, listen Benita, what I want us to do is to reclaim the truth about ourselves. Not just our heritage, not just our subculture, but our purpose. And what I want us to do, Bonita, is to reclaim this so that we can tell the rest of our brothers and sisters in the Adventist church, hey, it's not about being afraid. 
we're not here to scare people. We're here to tell people that you can be confident in the love of Jesus Christ. For God came to be with us, and that is at the heart of God. He wants to be with us. So we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be slaves of fear. We're not afraid of the end times. Let it come. Let Jesus come again, right? Are you with me? We need to reclaim our purpose. That's what we were meant to do. Seventh-day Adventist, the second Adventist is our purpose. We need to say, guys, God's been in charge of the earth's history from the beginning. He made it. He's going to complete it. Amen? And we are here to say, let him come. Come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come. I am not afraid. I will not be a slave to fear because I am a child of God. I am a child of God. Nothing can change that. The word of God says so. That's what we want to do in Bonita. Are you with me? That's what we want to do. So please stand with me, sing with me, let's praise God. And in your own time, read Daniel chapter 8. We're going to keep studying there next week, the latter part of chapter 8, as God unpacks our reason for, for, for being as a faith community. May God bless you in this new year. May, may he fulfill your heart and your purpose. May he connect you with why you are here and what he means for you to do in this new year. Let's sing together. Let's not be afraid.